You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello, and welcome to the GFR show. I'm Melissa Cherney. I'm your host. And I have a question for you. What credentials do you look for when you want to work with a therapist? I know many people in this period of time are upping their mental health game and fortifying themselves with additional resources if they you know, can, and um, those of us that have access to that, I'm super grateful, including myself. Like, what credentials do you look for in a therapist? So when I met today's guest, she got up on a stage in the room of about 300 people and told the whole room that she was a six-time sexual assault survivor, that there was four perpetrators and She was assaulted multiple times between the age of five and 14, and it resulted in two pregnancies. And now she is a fucking psychotherapist, (laughs) helping others to what she calls take out the trash in their heads so that they can live, step into the infinite potential that they are. And I just thought, damn girl, you are a walking billboard for your mission. I'm just so in awe of this woman. Wait till you meet her. She is so magnificent in her connection to her, what she calls her spiritually expressed human experience. And it just, I'm just like, she's would be the top of my list of therapists. I think the credential that she has of living through what she lived through and coming out the other side and now being like married for 20 years and a mother of a 30 year old, I just think, you know, that's the person that I want on my side because she knows what the fuck she's talking about. Not just because she is a licensed psychotherapist and social worker, but because she knows how to live through trauma and clear it and become a whole powerful human being. I cannot wait for you to meet her and hear the ins and outs of her story and for you to hear how she relates to her experience. She talks about not actually being a survivor. She says she's an experiencer of these assaults. She 
no longer even sees it as like a fight that she won or a battle that she, you know, went through and can now say she's a survivor. She's just, you got to meet her. She's uh, an amazing human being. Let's see what else I want to tell you about her. She has a really cool podcast called The Spiritually Expressed Human, which I just recorded my interview for. And we really had a blast (laughs) talking about um, what gets in our way of being unapologetic. And of course, you could imagine somebody that lives out loud like she does and is so beautifully vulnerable about what she's been through really has a lot to say on that topic. So you definitely want to check out my episode on her show, as well as listening to this episode, because she kicks it off with talking about that moment 28 years ago when she wrote a suicide note to her two-year-old son and sealed it in an envelope with instructions that he was not to be given that envelope until he was 18. And she says, who would do that to their child? And obviously she did not go through with her intentions. And she is among many of our very esteemed guests that have come very close to committing suicide. And I just think that it seems to be a a really powerful credential for people that are up to really big fucking things in the world. So if that is part of your story, I'm so glad you're still here. And I bet you are up to really important things. And if you're not, and you think you should be, then I'm glad you're here. And I invite you to grab your G of our commandments and figure out what is in your way, because we need you. We need all of the light workers, the healers of all forms, including myself. And we just, you know, it's all hands on deck people. So I hope that getting to meet Susan and hearing her story gives you energy and hope and even motivation to take some action to get out there and help people, organizations in the way that you see yourself needing to do or being meant to do. All right, without further ado, Miss Susan Desenzi. Susan Desenzi, welcome to the GFR show. Oh my gosh, Lisa, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. And talk about divine timing. We rescheduled. And and it was one of those things where I lost track of who was, you know, you always like, well, I rescheduled last and they rescheduled. Like, I don't even know. I think we rescheduled like three times each or something. It was crazy. I know. It was crazy. (laughs) But I feel the same. It's divine timing. Like, this is exactly when we're supposed to be together. It's so true. And I can see that even from our green room conversation, how just even more like clear you are and more, I don't know. I just, I feel like there was a season you were working through as we were going through our reschedules. Would you say so too? Oh, a hundred percent. Like I, I, I think I went through winter, spring, summer and fall probably a half a dozen times in the span of like, you know, even a week sometimes. Yeah. And, and it didn't, and we're, you know, we're talking in the period of time during the pandemic and but I don't even think it had anything to do with that for you. I think it was just like, <laughs> nope, it was further. Let it come up, deal with the shit, let it release. And then, yeah. oh, here's another wave. Okay. Go with the flow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So everyone heard the intro and that you're a psychotherapist and like sort of really clear on, you know, the after state that, which is, you know, Susan Desenzi. And I met you at a conference where podcast hosts get connected with podcast guests. And in that context, 
you, we all do pitches on stage of a couple minutes, you know, kind of saying who we are. And of course, I, I always go over and everyone thinks that's the best thing. Lisa Cherney went over and makes me feel human. I always thought that was really funny. So when you got up there to do your little pitch, I was like, my mouth was just, you know, gaping open from what you shared. And not just from what you shared, but like there on the stage, this thriving, amazing, totally, obviously powerful woman having said what you just said about what you've been through. And I was just like, I need her on my fucking show. So I, I, I guess I just want to, I want to dive in because I feel like if I say any more, I'm going to sort of like, you know, start telling your story when I want you to tell your story. But I don't know, I just has, I, I can see that what I said is sort of is, is touching you. So what, oh what's God. coming up for you? Thank you. It's such an honor. You know, the first time I have shared my story publicly many, many times, but I had never shared my story on a stage such as the conference we were at, where it was really all attention was being riveted on me. And I got a standing ovation. And when I saw people standing up and clapping, I literally like fell to my knees. Mm. I just couldn't and it wasn't the accolades. It wasn't like, oh, wow, you know, yay, great job. It was more about, they were saying, you finally stepped in and allowed yourself to have the permission to speak this truth of yours. And we see it and hear it and honor it too. And I just wasn't used to that. And so what you just said not just now did the same thing. Mm. So thank you for honoring that because I guess what I have been through, I don't see is so amazing really? because I see it's no, because I see it's possible for everyone, even if the actual circumstances or experiences are a little different. So I don't see it like anything different and out there and big, like, wow, she went through all this stuff and look at where, where she's at now. I think we all have that. It just looks different. That's okay. all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could see that through my window, your set of circumstances seemed even more extraordinary or traumatic than, you know, than something else. But that's just, right. That's my, my lens. And, and for particular, you know, from my perspective, I, I don't have personal experience with what you went through actually a teeny bit compared to what you went through a teeny bit in my, you know, yeah. And, and I, which I, I can share if it's relevant, you know? And so, right. It's like, if I was a cancer survivor, I would see, I would, you know, I'd give you props, but I was like, you know, I've been there, right. My mom's cancer survivor. I'm like cancer survivor once removed, you know, or, right. you know, lost a child or something, you know, I just, I guess I just perceive what you have gone through as, as particularly harrowing, and it's a phenomenal, refreshing, interesting perspective to hear you say that. And then I get, you know, and that is the truth, right? Is that we've yeah. all been through something. And I think it, it is that we don't fucking speak about it, right? No. GFR commandment number three, which is your favorite, which is, you know, the, we'll just start with the confession question for that commandment, which is where am I not speaking my truth? Oh my God, yes. Right? Yes. And, and uh, the commandment is don't worry about being normal proper or polite. And I think that is the shit that trips us up and has us hide and not share some things. And like that in itself creates dis-ease and all the other things, right? Oh, totally. A hundred percent. And that was a big struggle for me. And it wasn't that I needed 
other people's approval in the sense of I was hiding out in order to get it and not speaking my truth. For me, it was that I wasn't honoring the fact and speaking my truth that I was this, you know, survivor and other people may have opinion about that or thoughts about that, especially during the generation and the times, the, the era that these things happened in. And I wasn't really, you know, stepping out. I was a nonconformist and like doing things my way. So I spoke my truth in that respect, but there was this whole other piece over here that I wasn't speaking my truth in and that I bought into the survivorship and the victim mindset of, and that totally fucked me up for many years and led me down paths of major destruction for a long time. Do you think that if you told the truth about those things quicker, that the path wouldn't have been as destructive or as long, or what's your thoughts on that? A hundred percent, but there's there's part of this. So can I can I just share a little bit? Of yes, that? yes. Let's okay. let's rip off the bandaid. All right. So I, I I'm a six time sexual assault survivor. Now I do not identify as a survivor any longer. I don't even usually say that word. I'm a six time sexual assault thriver because I learned how to walk with it and still be this person who had experienced these horrific things and yet allowed it to not define me any longer. Okay, so I wanted to make that clear because I don't want to diminish those who have been through these experiences and say, oh, well, you're not a survivor, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's got our own journey and our own path. So they'll find their thrivership when they're ready, if they're ready. And that's totally 100% cool and okay and important. But I started experiencing assaults, sexual assaults, when I was five years old. And it really took me until I was in my late 20s or early 30s in my own therapy to even identify that experience as an assault because I thought it was my fault. Wow. I had watched my mother masturbate. I didn't know what it was. And I was touching myself and enjoying the pleasure. And we were at a, uh, a funeral of a second, third, something distant cousin, something like that. And I have two older brothers and cousins that were like all their age. I had nobody my age to play with. And this older second, third distant cousin was being nice to me. And I laid on his lap and there was a cover over me and he was kind to me and he was giving me attention and he started touching me and I, it felt good. So I didn't think anything of it. And then later he followed me into a bedroom to go to a bathroom and he got violent. But for years, I could not even identify that even with the, the violence that occurred then, the aggressiveness, I couldn't identify it as any kind of an assault because I said it was my fault. I let him touch me and I liked it initially. Right. So it was like, okay, there's, there's number one. And then number two, three, and four happened when I was nine. And so what you just asked is critical to answering that. When I was nine, it happened three times. Friend of older brothers, I was nine, he was 14. Police were involved when my mom finally pulled it out of me. I really believed I would die because he kept telling me he was going to kill me. So I kept my mouth shut. Mom pulled it out. Police involved. Swarmed hospital in and out, all these things, right? But this was also 1973. And it was a different era and a different time. And 
when the detectives came to my house the next day, they told me that a lie detector machine was a box where it has a yellow light and a green light. And if you take a, a piece of paper and put the story on it and feed it in the box, if the yellow light comes up, it's a lie. And if a green light comes up, it's a truth. And they said they'd already talked to him, put his story in, and it came up as truth. And I looked at them in my little fucking nine-year-old, you know, rebellious self and said, I don't know what to tell you then because your machine is broken because it's wrong. Wow. But what is critical about that is in that moment, I learned that these police who I was supposed to look up to as protectors and people who were supposed to help, you know, uh, save us and, tr and, and to trust and, and they could see the truth, right? Were basically calling me a liar. And then they basically threatened my parents that if my parents continued to push for full prosecution, I guess um, we'll be forced to have to look at the environment Susie lives in and, and see if it's a good environment for her. Wow. So all my parents heard was, if we push, they'll take her away. So now I learned that I can't trust these people I thought I could trust. And so I think that that experience right there, if the police had truly believed me. I don't know that I would have gone down the other destructive parts of the path at 14 when the, when the fifth assault occurred, whereby I ended up pregnant. And I had just been pregnant um, four or five months prior through a boyfriend, because of course, you know, as an assault survivor, now I'm feeling totally worthless and like a piece of shit. And so now I'm becoming promiscuous and I'm dabbling in drugs and I'm really starting to walk that destructive path. And so I had had a boyfriend who is five years older than me. I'm 14, he's 19. And I end up pregnant and I have an abortion. And I know that many people can find abortion offensive. And I, I, I hope that this doesn't offend you. It was you know, to each our own, you have to make the decisions that are important for you. But for me at the time, as a 14-year-old girl in 1978, it was a choice of carry a baby who is half uh, Indian, quarter black and quarter white, who the adoption agency told us will never be adopted, or raise the child, which at 14 I was not capable of doing, or have an abortion. And I felt like that was literally my only choice. So that was the route I took. Four months later, the last assault occurs with a friend of the family who I'd known for years. We both wrote poetry and wrote songs. We both played guitar. We'd get together every day because we lived in a campground at the time and no one was out there in the winter time. So we hung out daily. That was, you know, the only person for me to really hang out with. And one night he freaked out. And I ended up pregnant, but this time we didn't find out until I was 20 and a half weeks along. And I live in Illinois and the state of Illinois would not perform an abortion when you're over 20 weeks. So they said my only option was to fly to New York. And as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, because I didn't block it out from actual memory, like, oh, I don't remember it. It's not there. I knew it. But I'd so blocked it out and disassociated from it because I just couldn't believe, like, do I literally have a fucking sign on my head that says, hey, right. it's okay to rape me. Keep doing wow. it. Wow. You know, that 
when my mother asked me, are you pregnant? Are we with someone? And I'm like, no. And then the doctor calls her and tells her that it's true. When I came home that day from school, she laid into me with a forked tongue like she'd never done before. And God bless her soul. I mean, she passed 20 years ago and it still haunted her until she passed. But I told her long ago I'd forgiven her, but she didn't, she didn't know. Here I just had this, um, you know, abortion by choice. Now this rape occurs and I'm at this point now almost 22 weeks pregnant going, oh my God, what the, like, what are you, what are you doing? Right. And, and of course like, she as a mom is sort of like, what are the chances of this happening again? Right. Like, like if she can't even compute that, that, that this possibly could be happening yeah, and I didn't, and, and I, people have asked me, why didn't you say anything? And I'm like, why the fuck would I say anything? If nobody, if the police didn't believe me when I was nine, why the hell would I say anything now at, you know, 14, almost now 15, right? And so I flew to New York. I had a second trimester abortion. It was, it was a absolutely horrific experience because I, I, I did make a conscious choice to look after I gave birth to this, my dead child that I had willingly chosen to abort. And it haunted me for probably another, God, maybe almost 20 years. I felt like a murderer and just this evil, horrible person. And that became another part of the tailspin then that just sent me on this path of drugs and promiscuity and worthlessness and hopelessness. And yet, for all intent and purposes to the outside world and most of the people that met me, I looked like a relatively grounded, happy, easygoing person who just happens to be doing a lot of drugs and sleeping with a lot of people. And so it was um, very challenging for me because at age four, I had the awareness that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. I knew that we had this infinite love and this infinite divinity and this infinite connection and that we are not this body. And you remember I, that. You remember being four oh. years old and having those, I think that, which I think is unusual to begin with. It's just remembering like how you thought the world works or what you knew as a four-year-old. Oh yeah, and, and the reason I remember is another one of those weird instances where my parents were avid outdoors people. I had an amazing childhood as far as everything else goes, right? Phenomenal parents, phenomenal brothers, everybody's close, communicative. We camp every weekend. They're super outdoors people. And so part of that was that we'd lay down on the ground and look up at the stars. And I just had this deep natural curiosity of what's beyond what we can see and, and at four. And I remember going to them one time and I said, using these words, what is infinity? And what is beyond the universe? And, you know, what is the philosophy of God? And they're like, I, <laughs> Not I even what is God. God. What is the God no. philosophy of God? <laughs> right. And my parents do that whole, you can't see maybe, you know, on camera maybe, but like, you know, imagine then two people looking at me, then looking at each other, then looking at me and looking <laughs> at each other, right? Mouth agape going like, and they're like, how does she even know those words? And their response to me, as supportive and loving as my parents always had been, they didn't know what to do with that with a four-year-old. They said, sweetie, um, you know, why don't you go play with your Barbies? And again, my little defiant, rebellious self put my little hands on my hips. I stopped my ground, I stomped the ground and I looked at them and I said, I don't wanna, cause they're not real. And I turned around and I stomped away. And that stayed with me, right? And so 
here I am on this destructive path in the one way, feeling worthless and useless and like, I didn't, not even like a human being, right? And on this other side, I'm feeling like this expanse, you know, expansive spiritual infiniteness. And I couldn't make sense of either of it. So I'm struggling on the one path to find more of my way. And then I'm struggling on the other side on the path more of my way. And they're just like never feeling like they're meeting. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. And of course, now I look at the spiritual badass that you are now. And I just think like, I don't know. I don't know if you could be the spiritual badass you are now without that boot camp that was your experience. And it, I just, shit like this just dumbfounds me. It really does. Especially getting to talk with, you know, you as who you are and as a, you know, in your thrivership and, you know, being a psychotherapist for how many years now? You know, 27? 24 24 years years. as a psychotherapist who, from what we shared, you shared with me earlier, hasn't really had to do boo in terms of attracting clients because you're (laughs) just obviously in the right place and doing, you know, the work you've been always meant to do. And it's just, I really am honored and privileged to share the stories on the show and to share, for you to share your story. It's just like, it gives it meaning to me. Like it, it sucks and that's horrible and I wouldn't want any of that shit to happen to anybody, right? And then yet at the same time, I know that the space that you hold for others and the work that you've been able to do and the way you've been able to help others, like, would you say that you are uniquely designed for it? Like that, would you say that that, you know, like that that has an, and greatly informs how you help others? Oh, a hundred a hundred percent. Like if I could do an infinite amount of percent, <laughs> because, you know, I, w- I was really graced with, with the opportunity to be a co-author in a book um, five years ago with 25, six other amazing souls and two guest authors, Neil Donald Walsh and Marcy Shamoff, which many know, right? And we all had a chapter. It was an anthology book. And the title of my chapter was It's a Matter of Trust. And I talked about The Last Assault And I talked about, you know, how I got to this place where I could see that these things were gifts. And I got feedback that was like, how? Like, are you blowing smoke up my ass? Like, how do you really see these as gifts? And I said, look, I wouldn't wish it on anybody like you said. It was horrific. They were some of the most horrible experiences of my life. And at the same time, they made me who I am today. So how can I possibly not see them as gifts in some form or fashion. I'm not going to say that it was easy to see that or it happened quickly. It took me many years of therapy and coaching and talking to whomever and a lot of deep self-reflection and inner work that was fucking painful and hard. And there were times I wanted to give up and curl up in a ball and go, what's the fucking point? And I don't mean from like a dying perspective, although there's part of that too. There it was just the, like, why bother? This world why is bother? dense. People are sucky. They're heavy. It's dense. It's hard. Like, okay, just keep doing you. But I didn't really know, you know, always how to do that. And so it took a lot of years. And it, and it got to the point where I could see those four perpetrators. If they stood before me now, I can honestly say I have nothing but love and compassion for them. I have long ago forgiven them. 
And I know that the pain they must have been in to do what they did and believe it was okay to do that is actually greater than the pain that I dealt with in just those moments of the actual assault. It was the after pain of how I didn't honor myself and I didn't see myself as worthy and I defined myself by those experiences that nearly destroyed me, not the actual experiences themselves. And wow. so well, now I just, I, 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 just gotta, I just gotta pause because what you just said was some of the most profound words that I have ever heard anybody say. Wow. That their pain that they were in to allow them do what they did to you is greater than the pain than you felt. This is me paraphrasing, <laughs> you know, the greater than the pain that you felt in the moment, it was really the pain that you feel like you self-inflicted afterwards. That is, was really the, the heaviness of the experience for you. And, yeah. and that context y'all, <laughs> right. That leads to forgiveness. Like that, that is the spiritual otherworldly perspective that I that sounds like that led you to a place of forgiveness, or I don't know which came first, that or the forgiveness. <laughs> well, the 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 recognition of all the pain and doing some of the inner work, because you know my definition of forgiveness is very different than anybody I've ever heard say it, and I had to come to this myself because I love language, right, to some degree, and I break things down, and I looked at that and I said, shit, look at the word. The word is forgive for the giving. I took on your shit, your issue, your pain, your whatever as my own because I had, I don't know, an expectation or a thought that it shouldn't be this way or it's supposed, you know, whatever, like the rules of the game. I put some meaning on it. I took it on as my own and then I'm reacting to it. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I'm betrayed. But it's really your issue. So if I forgive, I'm giving the issue back to you that was yours that I took on as my own. So wow. then it begs the question, what is my issue? And I just have to look at that myself. And that's what I did. And then how I was able to come to real forgiveness with them and really then begin to see them as gifts in my life. But again, not a gift I'd want to see anybody else be given. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. And, and when you shared about sort of like that space of in your healing process of the why bother like really why why bother because i i don't think i'm ever going to get to you know where i want to go and i think there's a lot of people right susan that are in that place of why bother that are trying to move to the other side of something or through something or think differently about something and it just feels like they're you know pushing a boulder uphill I don't know. I just feel like I want to ask you, like, what would you say to somebody who's in that space of why bother? Wow. Because I've been there so many times and I, I, you know, I just think that we're always evolving and growing. So I'm never going to sit here in front of you now and say, Oh, I've got it all mastered. I don't ever think that any like that ever again. That's bullshit. It's not true. We're human. Of course, we're going to think like that or have thoughts like that periodically. They'll creep in. The difference now for me is that I just am able to move into a place of holding that space where I give myself the permission to feel that. I dive a little deeper and ask what's really at the core for me. And, and because I'm so adept at seeing people's core wounds right off the bat, and I know the four that are the predominant ones that no matter what I've heard out there by other people, 
I, they could have 10. They fit into four kind of main driving pieces that then I'm able to, you know, step into a place where I can go, okay, why am I sitting here in this place of why bother? What is really my frustration? And so what I would offer up to others is that if you are finding yourself up against pushing that boulder up the hill and you're feeling why bother, what is it you're really afraid of will happen if you get the boulder up the hill? Mm. Because if I don't understand, like if I'm afraid that I push this boulder up the hill and still shit happens, nothing happens or crappy stuff happens, right? Then I'm, of course I'm gonna be like, why bother? I don't see the potential gain for me. I don't see the potential positive outcome or a goal being met, right? Or I have an expectation about it that it should, quote unquote, should happen in this time frame or in this particular way. And so if I'm feeling the why bother, then some of those pieces are at the core. And we need to ask that, that kind of surface core questions to get to the deeper core of really understanding what's driving that deeper fear, so to speak, of the why bother. Yeah, Does that what's make sense? on the other side. Yeah, I'm here, yeah. totally. I, I'm hearing you say that we need to connect with the answer. Why bother? What is on the other side? What is the answer to that question? Why should I bother? Well, because I'll be able to be a better parent and I'll be here for them, or I will live into my mission that I know I'm here to, to do, or I will... I don't, I don't know. I'll be able to continue to bring soup to my aging neighbor who needs me, whatever, right? right. We need an right. answer. We need an or, answer. Or maybe I'll just be able to lay my head down on the pillow at mm. night and know that I spoke a truth about myself and my own way to myself. And I didn't give a flying fuck what anybody out here thought, felt, did, or behaved like, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and that is sometimes more important because we'll always have the outside stuff, but what I've seen with clients over my career is when they're really stuck in that why bother place and they're like showing up as like procrastination and lack of motivation and, you know, addiction. even in business, addiction, <laughs> and even in business, right? They're picking this niche and lane and then this niche and this niche and they're bouncing all over the place. It's because the truth is fear is at the base. They're really afraid to uncover what it really is because they're, they don't feel that worthy of completing that mission. And they're afraid if they really start to get involved and start doing it, that they'll prove to themselves that they can't do it or, or, or you know, that's not their path. And it's easy to go along with the status quo and just keep doing what has been known because the unknown is so scary. And then they get stuck behind it and they blame it on everything else. Oh, it's my, I did the marketing. Like, I don't understand. All the marketing people are telling me it's good language or my therapist said that I should be past this by now because it's been X, Y, Z amount of months or years. There's, there's none of that, you know? Like, shit, when I was a coordinator for a rape crisis center, I had 70 and 80-year-old women coming to me, you know, at the center, revealing for the first time that they'd been assaulted or had lived in some kind of domestically violent situation. We had children, we had men, like it didn't matter. It cuts across more than people realize. And when I would ask them, why were you afraid to share this? And why bother? Nobody's going to do anything about it. It was XYZ long ago. And it's like, but can you lay your head down on the pillow at night and know that you have spoken your truth and someone has heard you? 
oh, yeah. Now I can share that and feel like even if they didn't hear me then, like that set of experiences were other layers for me to go back in time to the police when I was nine and forgive them too. Wow. Because they just did the best they could with what they had at the time. That's all. It's not that they didn't want to believe a nine-year-old. It's that it was so incredulous to them, they couldn't. Right. They didn't have the capacity. And yet for all those years, I blamed them down deep subconsciously and somewhat consciously. And I let that be the driving catalyst that, you know, was pushing me down that path of destruction. That wasn't their fault. So it was a hard, those were hard things to, to really be aware of. But I fortunately had some really phenomenal people in my life who would push me in that way and not let me back off from the boulder. Kind of like, you know, what's that? My son's almost 30, so I kind of can't remember the name and forgive me if I screwed it up, but the, the, the little book about the train that could. Yeah, yeah, the little engine that could, I think. It Is was. that what it's called? Okay, yeah. I think, I think The so. little engine that could, yeah. That's a so classic. I, <laughs> right. Yeah, I had people pushing me, so, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just want to reflect a couple of things you said that I, I think it's a, a really profound thing to say that we, that some of us don't feel worthy to complete the mission. I don't, I don't feel worthy. To, like why, why bother? Because I don't feel worthy to even get to the other side, right? Is what I'm hearing you say. And I think yeah. that that is, is a significant thing to speak into because worthiness is so at the core of so much of our journeys. And then thank you for sharing your experience about being a counselor in the right rape crisis hotline and that when you asked people why they should share it you said because you could because you will have spoken your truth and someone will have heard you right when they say you said that they said i haven't shared because you know what's anybody going to do about it right and right. for and for you to really hold up that for them it's like you are worthy of completing this mission and completing this mission is simply can simply be telling somebody and knowing they heard you. Yeah, 100%. And, and I, I feel like there's such a global application to that. And it's what this GFR mission is about of, if, of I'm like shaking my fists in the air because I feel like speaking our truth is so underrated. And, and it's so easy to say, why bother? It's so easy to say, what's the point? It's so easy to say, like nothing's going to change or whatever. Like it's so easy just to sort of diminish the value of speaking our truth, which is why I'm even like more excited to have this interview with you, ha share your story and, and have you speaking your truth on my show. <laughs> oh, thank you. But, but it is the truth. You know I mean? It's like, I don't get it either. And I'm shaking my fist too, because I just, I, I you know, look, I, I'm, I'm super honoring in working with people and I hold I really hold a gentle, tender space. And at the same time, I will fucking give them a little push if I need to, right? <laughs> and like super quick story if I can. Yeah, yeah. Please. So I had this client I'd worked with for about a year. She was super, super clinically depressed, like diagnosable clinical depression, really bad. She had a suicide kit that she carried with her all the wow. time. And people are like, what's a suicide kit? She had like 200 pills that she always had with her. Wow. And- she was doing phenomenal, really starting to move forward. And, you know, I built a rapport with her. She knows me, you know, I, she, I adore her. She adored me. 
And one night she comes in and she's all like, well, I won't say first, but she's just like back in her old ways. And I just listen for a while and I, I look at her and I say, oh, I see Eeyore is with us today. <laughs> and you remember Eeyore from Winnie oh, the Pooh? Oh, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. My whole life's horrible. Nothing's ever going to change. And she got so mad at me. She <laughs> stuck her tongue out at me like, and, and for a brief moment, and I'd been practicing for 15 years or something, maybe already or, or a little less at that point. For a brief moment, I thought, oh, did I go too far? Like, maybe I shouldn't have said that, you know. But then I pushed that out of my head and I said, look, I'm really good at being in tune to others and holding that space and channeling them, right? Because that's my zone of genius. That's my expertise. So I didn't. I'm trusting my intuition and my gut here that told me this is what she needed because I was picking up things from her. So she leaves the following week. She comes in and she sits down. And, and so for that brief moment too, I was like, will she come back? But I'd yeah. worked with her for a year. Why wouldn't she? Right. But I was like, uh, so is yeah. that moment of human doubt? She comes back in the next week and she goes, you know, I was so mad at you when you said that last week. And I said, I know you were. And she goes, and I didn't like it when you said that. And I said, I know you weren't. And she goes, she stuck her tongue out at me again. And she goes, nah, but it's exactly what I needed. And I said, I know it was because you were giving me that answer. And I think that that shows us, like in that experience, even though I was the holder of the space with her, it was such a mirror for me and, and for all of us that we need to be able to speak our truths because other people can and do pick up on it. And if we're not, that's where I think they feel our inauthenticity then. And they don't feel that we're being real and we're too afraid to be vulnerable. And I personally believe that vulnerability is the greatest gift you can give another human being because just by my vulnerability and my role modeling of that in my willingness, I'm giving you inherent permission to be vulnerable too and telling you, I hear you, I see you, and I'm holding that space with you. And, and I think if more of us could do that, the truths would naturally just flip and flow out of us because we wouldn't be so damn afraid of everything. You know, it's crazy. Yes, it is. It is. And, and uh, you, we haven't shared this directly and, but we should, but when you were 28, you were assaulted for the sixth time. Oh yeah. (laughs) I didn't even get to that. And then that, you know, that led you to questioning whether, I mean, that led to your suicide uh, I don't know if you want to call what do you call it? Attempt or, or, yeah, or... attempt. Yeah. Okay. So what do you yeah, want to the... share with us about that? That my son was not quite two. He was about a week or two shy of two years old at the time. And um, I was a bartender and uh, it was a customer and it was very violent. And I, I truly believed I would die that night. I thought that was it. I, I was begging for my life and I managed to save myself from some additional things that he was dead set upon doing and creating, you know, and pain that he was wanting to cause. You know, I was in such a state of shock that about my son, it's about a week or two before that he turns two and my ex-husband, who was a verbally and emotionally abusive alcoholic, said something. Who was your husband at the time of this? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My ex-husband. Now ex, then husband. Uh, Now ex, yes. Yeah. Now dead, actually. Uh, God rest his soul. But he said something that cut me to the core. And after six assaults 
and working so hard from age 15 and that abortion and all the destructive path and then coming off the path by choice going, what the hell am I doing? And trying, you know, trying, quote unquote, to reach out to those that could kind of help when I'm 17 and 19 and 20 and so forth. It just all became too much. And I sat down to write my son a suicide note. And I put instructions on the outside of the envelope that said, do not give it to him until he's 18. So he would have had to wait 16 years to find out why mom died. And that I felt horrible about too, but I thought, who cares? I'm going to be dead, right? And I was going to go commit suicide. And I heard a voice. I was standing in front of the mirror and I heard a voice that was my four-year-old self that said, was screaming over the internal critical voice of my mind. She was my heart's voice. And she's screaming, but lovingly, you are meant for so much more. Anything is possible. And there were a few other things that she said. And I knew in that moment, I had a choice to make. Either put the letter in the envelope, and because I had been guided by her, not as loudly, just before that to reread the letter. I'm sorry, I kind of missed that point. Okay. And in the rereading, right. Right. It was this choice. And I was really going down the path of, you know, go commit suicide. And then she got louder. So I should have said that. I'm so used to telling the story that sometimes I forget the details. Um, and she got louder and, and said those things. And I knew then that it was a choice. If it was die, stuff it back in the envelope, seal it up and just go do it. If it was live, though, it was live by jumping off the fucking cliff of my life no matter what from this point forward, no more hiding out. And that was the choice I make, made because obviously I'm here, but I'm not going to say that it was easy and that it was like a snap of the fingers quick to jump into my life and stop hiding out. It took me probably another maybe eight years or less of really hard, painful work to some degree to, and I was already a therapist by this point now too. I was oh. already getting in the field, right? Okay. To, well, just the beginnings of my field to really deal with that so that I could complete, you know, live my mission and why I had gone through all these things, how I could help others. Maybe not even trauma, you know, survivors, but maybe, but how I could help other people get out of their own way and stop believing that they're their past experiences and all that shit we've learned. That's not true. It's not your truth. It's illusion here. I'll help you find your voice in your truth. And man, when you can step into that, you really have infinite potential and infinite possibility. And we all have that. That's our birthright. We have our birthright is to be the spiritual and human badasses that we are. Let's live it and speak those truths. That's why I so love GFR and what you're doing. My God, it's like more of us. Come on, let's all band together. <laughs> yes. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing with us about that moment and bringing us back to that four-year-old again, you know, he hearing how that four-year-old spoke to you so loudly that you really heard that yeah. four-year-old and you had this connection with that four-year-old spirit, which I sound to me is, is unique because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't have that connection to my younger self. And I, it's, it's a beautiful that you had that connection. It's, it's like, you know, I've heard many people on the show share about trauma and life-changing 
experiences and saying that they that like they have glimpses of who they were before but they almost forgot who they were before and and i i feel like you you're unique in that you have this sort of vivid recollection of the spirit of that four-year-old who was laying on her back in the campground and asking her mom and dad what's god's philosophy you know like you you have such a right a vivid connect and i feel like that four-year-old has sort of kept you alive the whole time right oh. through every assault and every time and authority or someone that you actually did tell and heard you didn't do something you are here yeah. to still say to everybody it still matters if you tell it still yeah. matters that someone hears you whether they believe you or not or whether they could do something about it or not that's what i'm hearing you say is like it is the most important thing to to say it yeah well, and that's why GFR Commandment 3 is so important to me of where am I not speaking my truth? Because, my God, I wasn't speaking my truth in a lot of ways. And I see in countless, in, a, in just a myriad of ways by clients, thousands and thousands over 24 years, who in one way or another, whether it's trauma-related or not, or just like, oh, I'm in a bad marriage and I don't know how to get out or I hate my job and I want to leave it or I want to start Mundane like, problems like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> just a, a little fluffy problems, right? <laughs> like it doesn't matter. There's a truth there you're not speaking because you're, you're I don't know, tied into an expectation or a, a belief system or a way you were brought up or you're afraid that your parents aren't going to love you anymore if you don't want to be a yeah, doctor. And, and what I'm hearing and I'm getting is that it's as oppressive. It actually doesn't fucking matter whether it's a sexual assault or, or an abortion you had in second trimester and, or whatever it is. It, it is as oppressive yeah. because of just the way that you, the story that we have created around yeah. how we need to hide that thing. Exactly. And so now I, I, you know, I make it my personal mission every day to check in with myself and say, where did I want to hide out today? Or where did I hide out? Or where was I trying to hide out? Or where was I, you know, trying to, like, the words don't matter. So I'm stumbling a little here, because I just kind of do it from this very knowingness internal place. And I don't say words, to be honest. But if I wanted to offer that up to somebody else, then it's things like, you know, where did I not kind of say something that I really wanted to say because I was afraid of what so-and-so would say or think or feel or do? Or where did I not do that thing that I really wanted to do because I thought I shouldn't or somebody might get mad or, you know, all those ways that it comes about. And, and by me checking in every day, now I can nip things in the bud right away so that when a layer is coming up for release and healing and awareness and observation, I feel much more adept and more powerful and not powerless to address it and deal with it. it. May not be ready to be let go of yet, but now I can honor that too. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yeah. So it sounds like you practice. You practice the little things each yeah. day. Yeah. So that when the bigger things are there, you could share them. Yeah. And and, and I, I recently said to somebody who is healing from past trauma and is trying to speak their truth now that I said, at least like, keep current, like from here on, I will speak my truth. Like I'll deal with the old stuff, right. As I can, but at least from now on, 
Right. You know, I, and that's what I'm hearing you say. And I, I like the, the actual like specific practice that you employ each day yeah. to stay current is what I, I, I'm hearing you like stay current with speaking your truth to not, they're not for there never more to be any black backlog. <laughs> exactly. And like you just said, and why, why I love what you just said so much is because if I can go from this point forward, then I can give myself the kindness and the compassion and the understanding to stop judging myself for not having dealt with the shit in the past. Yes. Well, maybe I don't even want to deal with it yet or I'm, I'm ready. And, you know, people often ask me as a therapist, oh, so you, you analyze people, don't you? And, and you're going to ask me to, like, lay on the couch and tell me your whole life story and blame everything on mom and dad, right? And I'm like, no. Shit, my husband 20 years ago says, you going to analyze me? I said, no, I don't fucking analyze people. What I do is I hold a space for you to feel safe enough and I guide you and facilitate that path with and for you sometimes and push you a little bit and back off a little bit. When you're ready to move down that path, you naturally go there because we don't want to be like that. Like we don't want to live in that pain. But if nobody's ever taught us how not to or just push it away and pull up your big girl boy pennies and everything's fine, then we're never gonna we're never really going to learn to walk with it. So now what I mean by walk with it is I am a six time sexual assault experiencer, right? I've experienced these horrific things and I can recall them in detail and share the details and they no longer 1 million percent recall any kind of emotional trigger for me. Wow. And, and that is because I have learned to walk with it. It is a part of who I am and I'm grateful for those experiences and I don't wish them on anybody and I can also be with them, right? And that's the same for anybody, whether they've ever been in an assault situation or not. So, you know, parents divorced when you were five, same thing. If it was traumatic for you, big trauma, little trauma, doesn't matter. Doesn't Just matter. any kind of stress or trauma. And we can then without judging it, that's great. You know, it's so simple, Lisa, but we make things so freaking complicated. We really do. Yeah, we do. Don't we? Yeah. I love how you, I'm experiencer. Like I, I want to have like everyone, you know, in the GFR squad members and everyone listen to this show, just be like, I'm a XYZ experiencer. Like <laughs> it sounds so like just sort of benign, not, not important, but just sort of like yeah, like it, it kind of equalizes when I hear that word experiencer. It just sort of equalizes, like you said in the very beginning, bringing us full circle. Like it, I don't see it as extraordinary. I just see it as something that I experience. And I think we all yeah. are experiencers, right? We all fill in the blank. I am a experiencer. Yeah. And it unites us all. And uh, my intention for this show with you is that it, it helps people to stop judging that they haven't shared or done anything about it and just simply find a way to, to speak it, to know that they are worthy enough to complete that mission of the why bother and to simply speak that truth, whether it's, you know, joining the GFR squad where we have a confession call each fucking month where you can say the things or just listen to other people saying the things or hiring a therapist or just writing in your journal or whatever that is for you. Yeah. So, I love um, that. yeah, thanks. 
uh, back at you. So for, oh, I love, I love that. I, I'm sorry. I love, no, no, go, go, go. <laughs> I love the confessional call. Like I might join the GFR squad just because like, I would fucking love it. <laughs> like, it's so cool. I want to hear the confessional because like for me as a therapist and a coach, I'm like, yes, yes, get it out, release, you know? So it's yeah. like, I would love if nobody needed me. I would have to pivot in my business to, to earn income, but I would love it if nobody needed me because it would tell me that we're all moving in the directions that, that are completing our missions and living more truth. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That would be an amazing fucking world we'd be living in if we yeah. could, the majority of us do that. My God, what would change? Yeah. Oh. Yes. And, and, and what I know would change, what I've seen for holding this space for this mission for well over a year is confidence that people, there's something that happens where the, when we speak our truth and we don't die, you know, and yeah. we, that we, that there is a, almost like a piece of us that's restored, right? Like yeah. a power that's given away, a piece of our soul that died and that gets restored and repaired when we say the things. Yeah. And, and, you know, bringing it back around to the mission driven entrepreneur, it's like when we say the things in our marketing, when we say the things in an interview, when we are vulnerable enough so that people, they follow the light. You know, there's a light that's switched on when we say the things and they can follow that light and we don't need whiz bangy, bold type, <laughs> yellow highlighted, 15 bonuses and all that crap, right? To attract somebody to us. It's simply like telling the truth, exactly. you know, which is not simple. So that's why we have the GFR squad, but. Oh my um, God, that's why I love you, right? Because <laughs> yeah, it's like, just, yes, can we return to this? Not return, but can we, well, yeah. I guess return, but can we start living in this? Yeah. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. So for this last final thing, you are transitioning or have transitioned to where you're not only a psychotherapist, but you are, you know, you have moved into widening the scope or I don't know, however you want to say it, but I would love for you to share kind of like even just the turning point in your own evolution that had you say like, okay, that was great. But, you know, now there's something more. And I just would love for you to share sort of whatever you want to share about with about that piece of your evolution that's having you own like the next place that you're supposed to serve and the next piece of your, the next expression of your own healing in the, wow. in the place you're supposed to serve. Well, I've always known that, you know, I, I truly have always believed even in the darkest nights of my soul and in the most destructive parts of the path I've been on and felt like I was, you know, in the wormhole of, I have always felt everything happened for a reason. I've truly always believed that. And I've always known that everything is happening for me. The universe is friendly. It's always for me, even when it seems against me. Wow. And so I just step back and go, okay, what does that mean then for me in this moment, in this job, in this marriage, in this whatever? And so in the beginnings of my own healing journey at, at after 28 and I made the decision to live, I really reached out to people like hard. I knew I needed help because if I was that close to dying, like I didn't want to ever go there again. And yet they were just kind of trying to help me through it. And nobody was teaching me how to be with it. And, and I didn't even know that people like, I just knew that for me, I needed that. And so because I've always been a rebel, I said, how can I take what I've been through and, and help others with this? And, you know, a bunch of people said, why don't you become a therapist? And I'm like, uh, okay, what do I got to do? So I went and did it. I was already in the field for a number of years before I, I formally did it. Okay. Licensed wise, formal graduate degrees kind of did it thing. Um, 
And in that place, though, I felt the restrictions of the boxes because of my field is very box restricted oriented, but I still did it my way as much as I could push the boundary. And then about five years ago, I just said, I've had enough. I let go of two full-time private practices and a full-time job. And I, I just said, I, I just can't do That's it anymore. That's a lot of full-times all at once. <laughs> I, I was working about six, six and a half days a week for like three years. Wow. Uh, great. I made a shit ton of money, but I was miserable because I, it, it wasn't the kind of work I wanted. I wanted to do it my way. I'm a licensed and certified sound therapist. I am an intuitive healer. I, uh, you know, use singing bowls and crystals and other tools cards. in your toolbox. Oh my God, right? Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't do that in my traditional practice really. And so I stepped out. And so now as a, as a, you know, a spiritual and emotional resiliency coach and a licensed therapist, I've combined whatever each person needs and I just really help to guide them on that path of navigating the human experience. So they, whether it's in their life, their business, or their relationship, wherever they're being held back and allowing those core wounds to really drive their subconscious and their the bus, so to speak, their behaviors and their thoughts and feelings and emotions, we really speak the truth now. Nice. And they learn how to step into a place of real power for themselves. Nice. I love it. Ah, I am honored to have had this conversation with you, Susan. Thank you for answering your why bother question with such truth and enthusiasm and spirit. And uh, thank you to that four-year-old self of yours. I'm so glad she stuck around so that you could be here with us today and we get to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It's been an honor to be here. You're very welcome. Was I right or was I right? She is just an amazing human being. And I just, I can't wait for you to get to learn more from her. There is a link to an awesome free gift in the show notes around, that's called The Secret to Loving Yourself, A Guide to Emotional Resiliency. It's really good shit. And she also has a link in there for grabbing a session with her, a one-on-one session with her, which is super freaking generous. And for our GFR squad members, for which she is an esteemed member of our GFR squad, she did a special training called What is a Root Wound and What Exactly is an Emotion? And I was a bit of a guinea pig on this one, as sometimes I am for our GFR squad bonus training. So if you're not a squad member yet, you want to go do that. It's only 20 bucks a month or $200 for the whole damn year. And we get to be on a video community confession call every month, whether you can come and just uh, observe (laughs) or you can participate. And we take one of the GFR commandments each month and the confession question, and we have a really great discussion. It's, It's a really safe place to get real about what's getting in your way. You get to hang out with Susan and I and the rest of the GFR squad. So you can go to gfr.life forward slash squad to check that out and finally pull the trigger on joining us. Also make sure you grab your GFR commandments at gfr.life forward slash 12C. All right. It's been a pleasure spending this time with you and I look forward to seeing you next time.